Anyong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I'm your host, Darren. I'm here today with two guests. Uh, first of all, I have Craig Ambrose. Hello, Craig. Hello. And Kevin O'Leary. Hello, Kevin. Hello. And today we are covering uh, episode five, Visiting Hours. Uh, it was written by uh, John Levenstein and uh, Richard Rosenstock. Uh, we've covered John Levenstein before. Uh, he, he wrote um, Top Banana. Um, and uh, Richard Rosenstock is, you know, he's another writer on the staff who uh, has written a few episodes in season one, and I think a couple in season two, or I think he might just be done at the end of season one. Um, I know, I, th- I think he does a couple in season two. Uh, I've also spoken about him before because he wrote uh, Bringing Up Buster, which is episode three. Uh, but I'll mention it here again. He created a sitcom called Flying Blind, which starred Taya Leone, and it aired for one season back in like 92, 93 <laughs> and the theme song was done by David Byrne um, and I, I'm a big fan of that sitcom but evidently nobody else in the entire world was because it lasted 22 episodes and it was gone. Like a vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah. the episode is directed by Greg uh, Matola, who I think most recently he's directed uh, Neighbours and Neighbours 2 which over here were called Bad Neighbours and Bad Neighbours 2 because of a sitcom from Australia which is very popular over here so they didn't want to uh, confuse people uh, but he's done a lot of stuff he's um, he's, he's, he's directed stuff with Jed Apatow so here is the summary that is on the uh, DVD now this episode aired on the 7th of December 2003 which was actually after the episode I'll be covering next which is called Charity Drive because they were they were aired out of order basically, but on the DVD they've been restored to the correct order. All this means is we get to meet um, Kitty properly in this episode, and she's in Charity Drive again. But we get a kind of fuller introduction. If you watch them the other way around, you you've met Kitty and then suddenly you meet her again, so it's a bit confusing. On uh, Netflix, it's still the same order. It's still the Charity uh, Drive still before. And I'll ask both of you guys, uh, and I'll start with Craig first. Did you watch the show when it first aired? Or did you come to it later on DVD or Netflix or, uh, you know, through the recommendations of others? I think the show came to art, came here much later. And I, I didn't even, I wasn't aware that it was even playing here on BBC2. Uh, yeah. I uh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't even aware it was playing. I, I believe, I must have heard it was somewhere though, because I remember... I, came to because I got a, a voucher for my birthday and I bought um, the first and second box set, which I'm staring at right now, <laughs> uh, on DVD, so uh, that's how I came to it, which was maybe, I think it might have been after the second season of the year. well obviously after the second season of the year, but I mean one, one after, uh, just before the third one of Which I think was about six months after it finished in America, they started it over here, so it was right. kind of like because uh, I think it finished in America like in February, so it was about September-ish over here when they they just started showing it and um, Kevin, did you watch it when it was actually airing? You had the advantage of being in the country where it was airing first. I did, uh, Did I you did. watch it when it was showing? Yeah? Oh, well, unfortunately, I, I was a little late to the party as well. Uh, I watched the first season right after it came out on DVD. A friend of mine was a huge fan, um... I had an awkward first introduction to the show because I was a Boy Scout at the time. We were going on a ski trip, and uh, they were watching in the car, and I was in the front seat, so I couldn't see, but I could hear the first, like, four episodes of the show. (laughs) And it was so funny just even hearing it. I loved it. Um, I had no idea what any of the characters looked like, what anyone looked like at all, but it was really funny, and I I immediately, after the trip, watched the whole first season on DVD and loved it, and then I watched the rest of it on TV, so. Uh, I'm going to get into the summary. Sex is in the air as Job seduces his father's former secretary. Lindsay and Tobias go to see a marriage counsellor. And George Sr. and Lucille have a bizarre conjugal visit. And the kind of the A plot of the story is George Sr. trying to get a conjugal visit with Kitty. Which Michael assumes means his mother. Um, And then also Michael using Job to get information from Kitty about the international accounts. Which he's also trying to get out of his father. Um, and then the, the B-plot is Tobias and Lindsay going to see this doctor to try and sort out their marriage. A running joke that goes throughout this episode is George Sr. and his love of um, softball, um, which you know becomes a plot later on in season two, quite importantly. But 
here it becomes the kind of motivator for him no longer enjoying prison, <laughs> which in previous episodes he's he's classed as having the time of his life <laughs> while he's in prison. But, you know, we start with the, the premise that Michael is attempting to get to the bottom of, as the narrator calls it, some mysterious bookkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love this kind of opening encounter because George Sr., this is something that will happen with both of um, the Bluth parents. They will talk to someone else about something else, but they'll be continuing a conversation with Michael, and Michael will keep thinking they're talking to him about something, and then he'll figure out that they weren't. Um, And in this case, George Sr. is talking about... We're playing Rahway next week. Word has it that they're getting Jose Canseco. I don't think... I think Jose Canseco these days is not a stable person, so this joke still works a little. (laughs) But back then, the kind of implication of his um, kind of criminality... And I love how Michael is like, I don't know why I'm coming here. And George Senior is like, this is ridiculous. And Michael, this is where he thinks he's talking to him. He's like, he's like, you won't even talk to me. And then George Senior, sealing his fate for later in the episodes. I'm catcher or I'm nothing. Just wanders off, leaving <laughs> Michael by the fence. Um, I don't understand why this visit isn't taking place in the usual meeting room where people get to yell no touching. I don't know why it's just taking place at the fence. It's just one of those weird, I guess they've got the location, so they go for the setting. Probably just to introduce the softball so you can have that sort of catcher on nothing, which is, I think is called back. thing, though, given George Senior's age, I don't know why he would choose to be catcher because you know you've got to be crouching for the entire game, or at least half the game. <laughs> Yeah. And you know we find out we find out later that Rahway take it to fourteen innings, so that's a lot of crouching down, and that's going to put a lot of strain on your knees, which of course uh, is his downfall <laughs> later on. I really don't understand the rules of this game at all. <laughs> I was going to say, I think the only real difference between softball and baseball is the ball is a little bigger, and you pitch underarm rather than overarm. But um, yeah, that's it, really, nothing else. And I think that you can use aluminium bats instead of wooden bats I think in prison it seems giving someone a baseball bat of any type is <laughs> yeah. not a good move but you know we'll get to that We know uh, the biggest thing that we get in this episode is the introduction of uh, Kitty Sanchez uh, played by uh, well now kind of almost perpetual neglected mother Judy Greer um, <laughs> but, but in 2003 um, she's being used here as um, I'm going to say a sex object because her entire plot in this episode revolves around the sex that she used to have with George Senior and the sex that she's willing to have with um, what in other circumstances would be called George Junior, but for the moment we'll just stick with calling him Job. We, her introduction, of course, is done. Her loyalty is always to George Senior, and this is shown by the fact that when she gives a message... Michael returned to work where his assistant Kitty greeted him with some startling news. Your wife's on line one. And for only the second time in the series, we are told... Michael's wife had been dead for two years. In the pilot, this was just a passing mention where um, where George Michael said, you know, mom's been dead for two years. And that's the only time you realise that Michael was a widower. Um, so here, <laughs> Michael's like... My what? I think the timing of this is perfect because it's just the fact that Judy Greer plays it like she knows something's wrong, but she has no idea what's wrong. So she's kind of like just waiting... And the narrator's like... Kitty realised her mistake. And she just goes... I said your wife is on line one. But not immediately. (laughs) And uh, Ron Howard's delivery of that second line is kind of perfect. Uh, Lucille is... And this is, again, this is where some more miscommunication comes from a Bluth parent. Lucille is by the pool at the club. Um, We've seen her previously in the pool at the club in the episode Bringing Up Buster where she was doing, um, like, water aerobics. um, And Buster was stuck on the roof. Uh, at the end of that episode, uh, yelling to his mother. We get uh, Lucille having a conversation with a, a waiter who really, he shouldn't be putting his thumb on the glass. Um, you know, that's that's just bad waitering. Take it back! If I wanted something your thumb touched, I'd eat the inside of your ear! Um, but he's also bringing her pool food, which, you know, will... Her, her not wanting to just stick with pool privileges will become a, a negotiating chip for Michael later in the episode. Um, Michael basically, once once he tries to figure out you know, what his father needs and what his mother needs, which are two different things, you know, she wants to not be by the pool, he wants to have Kitty. <laughs> and when he figures those two things out um, and kind of miscommunicates one of them, um, he basically, for this episode, turns into a pimp. <laughs> he is basically 
pimping his mother out to his father and pimping Kitty out to Job to get information on these international accounts. Um, and as with every business thing that happens in Arrested Development, after this episode, we won't ever hear about the international accounts ever again. It just kind of gets dropped. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing with stuff that happened in, in earlier episodes. There's a problem of a financial nature, and then it gets dropped by the next episode. It's a different financial problem. It must get resolved immediately every time. Just boom, right after the episode, they fixed it. It's all fixed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have, well, that's what I have to assume. And we only get a tie-in here with Job, who we get a, a little bit of a flashback to stuff from um, Key Decisions, where we see uh, Job's breakout <laughs> uh, and him sitting sitting in the ho- in the hospital weekly saying ta-da yeah. <laughs> um, and of course we get the um, the warden calling it a not so great escape in the newspaper which is uh, this is something that Arrested Development do quite a lot which is the kind of newspaper headlines about the Bluth family <laughs> um, you know the and it's it's just one of those great visual jokes that they they like to go to. Job it, <laughs> Job is um, making a noise trying to get this desk into an office. Now I don't know why he's got an office at the Bluth Company, but he does. And so he's trying to get the desk in, and he's picking up the art. And this is where we get his interaction with Kitty. And there is some uh, <laughs> some kind of cruel lines from Job here. But I I, I think it's weird because. You know, it's implied that Kitty likes the way Job is treating her because he treats her like George Senior would. So I, you know, I get. I guess the fact that Michael is always reasonable with her, whereas Job is always cruel to her, is kind of. If Michael just were a bit more cruel, maybe he would get some results out of Kitty. But I love Kitty. I love Judy Greer. Um, she's great. She's absolutely hysterical in the show, and it's a perfect introduction of her. I think. Um, the, the physical gags in general, just with the glasses on and off, is just so brilliant. Like, she's able to move her eyes just so to be so funny. And, uh, yeah, she really kills in this episode. It's a great introduction. In fact, that's the reason I wanted to do this particular episode was because it, it did serve as her introduction. And uh, I, I love Judy Greer. It's, it, it's so sort of clever. I was noting all the ways to kind of try and make her ugly because, I, I don't know, I mean, she... she, she she just is naturally kind of adorable. She's got that like horrible dress on, which this bizarre dress with like tassels with pom poms in the bottom. So bizarre and, and out of place, and the sort of old tissues stuffed up her sleeve, constantly sniffing, snorting. <laughs> well, the, like the introduction we get is where Kitty is like, Joe. I wish I would have known you were coming. I am a mess. Will on its delivery of. Don't know if a call from me would have changed that. Like, which is, you know, again, is like a, a cruel outfit, and Kitty draws attention to her outfit. Do you like my outfit? And I love that, again, miscommunication between people in this show all the time, where Job's like, Not as much as I like what's underneath it. She's taking that as oh. he wants to get her naked, whereas he just wants. No, I need your chair. Get up. I've got a letter to write. Takes her chair, and this is where we get, you know, like. You're all business. Just like your dad. And this is kind of where we, we start to find out about the relationship between yeah. um, Kitty and George Sr. And it's funny because I think in the pilot episode, Lucille had said, you know, when talking about money, she's like, I've dipped into the Kitty once or twice. <laughs> and I don't think that was a setup for this. Because I, I know there's a lot of stuff that in these first 13 episodes, the writers laid out very carefully because they were... You know, they had the 13 episode order and they knew what they were going to do. But I, I'm not sure that that line, you know, from the pilot that was kind of filmed three months before the show started, that <laughs> they actually were setting it up. But it is nice when you watch it again that you're like, is that a setup for Kitty? You know, but. I, I could believe it. The, the lengths that they go through, uh, the, the sort of minute details that they fall back to, just didn't. There's, no, like, there's so many things even now watching it, I'm like. Now, we get to meet Lindsay and Tobias um, in the kitchen. Now, there is a cut scene where um, Tobias (laughs) comes down and seeing Lindsay, he, like, says, look at that view. And everyone looks out the window. And then then he's like, I meant her tush. And then everyone, like, looks and they're like, oh, right, okay. Um, And I think that's, that's, like, such a stupid joke. Uh, There's a joke that's set up here that kind of pays off later on where they're talking about um, prison and going to prison and, and um, you know uh, going to see um, thingamajig in prison, George Senior and George Michael we find out has a fear of carnivals and thinks that they're more frightening <laughs> than prison 
uh, which maybe takes as a joke. So that's that's kind of where they, there's only one little cutscene, and that's it. And we get introduced to Tobias's um, headshots mm-hmm. for the first time in this episode, uh, with the with the wonderful thing where we see Tobias like as a psychiatrist, like that they they say you know since he'd left his practice as a psychiatrist, and you see that picture and you think, oh, is that a picture of him? you know being a psychiatrist and then it goes across and you see him as a doctor and then you see him wearing like a a ball gag and, you, and it's it's just this weird little set of like headshots yeah. but I I'm not sure that anyone in the business would really want to see you dressed as those different uh, characters <laughs> no um but yeah this is this is this episode will kind of um uh emphasize with the help of of Bob Odenkirk um, you know, who obviously uh, has a, a pre-existing relationship with David Cross. They they will kind of really get into Tobias's acting, and uh, we'll get to see some great stuff. But what's funny is, yeah, you know, Tobias tells maybe that. Okay, kids, mommy and daddy are going out for ice cream. Can we come? Sorry, it's not for kids. Which <laughs> uh, is another, just another weird thing that like the adults trying to hide. And here's the thing, I don't think that maybe would really be that bothered that her parents were going to marriage counselling, like if they just said we're going to marriage counselling, but, you know, everyone in the Blue family feels the need to hide something. Um, and we, now, this is one of the rare episodes where, I mean, we get a little, the narrator gives us a, a, a kind of flashback to a couple of episodes ago where they introduced the stair car. Um, but this is one of the rare episodes where we don't get any weird overtones between maybe and George Michael for the majority of the episode <laughs> until they hug at the end. <laughs> this episode is yeah. played relatively straight as just two cousins on slightly different storylines for the episode. There's not as much kind of sexual tension as there usually is between these two. Once again, we get this kind of weird thing where people are sitting in the stair car thinking of going to do something, and someone has to point out, you're in a stair car that says Bluth Company. (laughs) They'll know it's you. (laughs) It's George Michael that has to point this out to maybe. that. What if they see us? How are they going to see us? Well, it says Bluth Company right on the side. Plus, it's a stairway. That's going to catch the eye. <laughs> His delivery, Michael Sarah's delivery of that is, you know, quite funny. Um, and this is where we find out about um, <laughs> George Michael. He's afraid of carnivals, but he's also afraid of prison, but not for the normal reasons. In fact, he'd been terrified of the very notion of prison since, as a young boy, he accidentally watched HBO's Oz, mistaking it for the classic Judy Garland musical. <laughs> <laughs> And we see him kind of like wearing his own like Tin Man hat that yeah. he's made, sitting on bed like with popcorn <laughs> and and just being terrified. And once he saw like the first couple of minutes, I don't know why he didn't just turn it off, but it seems that he's committed to binge watching Oz for some reason. Sorry, <laughs> um, just to call back to the cut scenes. I mean, you can definitely see like Tobias's lines are kind of out of place, but I think the, the carnival gag as well. As funnier without the without the callback, yeah. Without the setup, even just having that randomly thrown in without the half man that grabs you in the leg, do you know, <laughs> just uh, <laughs> that. Uh, one thing I found really funny, though, just a small detail. Um, when George Michael did have his little Tin Man hat, I thought he doesn't really feel like a Tin Man to me. Of all the characters for him to dress up as, as the <laughs> Wizard of Oz, like I don't know, he has a lot, a lot of heart. He's like he does need the heart. Uh, he's definitely a cowardly lion to me, um, but I guess it's a much harder costume for the the costumes there. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit. Of, uh, also, a lot a lot harder to believe that George Michael would have like a cowardly lion like costume to dress up in just to watch a film. <laughs> like a bit of foil on his head is kind of easy to do, but this is kind of where the plots start to intersect as we get um, Michael doing what he tends to do, which is resolving to never do something ever again. <laughs> We got this in the pilot where he resolved to never speak to his family ever again and never be part of the business. And then literally the next day he's in charge of the family business. And here we get him resolving, like he comes home in a good mood. He's sent Job with Kitty so he thinks he's going to get the information that way. So he no longer needs to go to the prison. And he says to he says to George Michael, Hey buddy, came home early. Want to do something? Anything. Anything at all. And of course, George Michael is like... I want to visit Pop Pop in prison. <laughs> and so, straight away, he has to go back to the prison that he didn't want to go back to. 
Um, and I think this is something that will happen like a number of times throughout the show where Michael will not want to do something and he will immediately be forced to do that thing by somebody else. And because he's a good guy, you know, he'll go along with it. This is where we get, you know, probably my favourite scene in this episode, which, as you said, Craig, is the, the hair and glasses scene. Back at the office, Job was making progress with Michael's assistant. <laughs> where Job is trying different ways to make Kitty more attractive. And we get the classic... Wait a second, wait, wait, wait. Take off your glasses. Let down your hair. Of course, Judy Greer like takes off her glasses and goes cross-eyed, and then shakes out this like bird's nest of hair. <laughs> and Job's like, "No, glasses on, hair back up. Now let's just get that hair right back up." And I just love Will Arnett's kind of delivery of this. And then you know, like he turns the light off, and the scene finishes with him delivering this kind of line in kind of like a really kind of like terrorized fashion, saying, "It just seems like there's still light coming in from under the door." And uh, I just I just love that scene because it, it just kind of establishes, you know, Kitty's relationship with Job uh, and how she's willing to be kind of like adventurous and Job kind of talks a good game. But when it gets down to it, <laughs> he kind of is trying to do almost anything, you know, to get out of it. But, you know, he really wants that touch lamp um, so that he can write his angry letter. Um, you know, Michael is normally like kind of a really good guy. But in this, you know, he's nego- he's kind of negotiating away kitty for a touch light i mean that doesn't seem like a fair exchange but you know he really wants that um that information and now we get to bob odenkirk who obviously was on mr show with david cross you know they were good friends um this is the only time he's on the show he's only in a couple of scenes um but i i love that you know it's a therapist that um i mean i don't know if Lindsay's trying to make it work or if you know, we get the um, the cutoffs. We get to see them here. They're not explained for an, another couple of episodes, but we get to see Tobias wearing a towel with the cutoffs underneath, and mm-hmm. Lindsay whips the towel off, and he's kind of hiding, trying to hide his cutoffs as though he's naked. Which I think is an, is a really clever way that David Cross plays it. Is that whenever he's in the cutoffs, you know, the character feels naked rather than just wearing cutoffs. So I think that's a clever character detail. But I like that they found they found a um they found, and Lindsay I think must have like kind of found this doctor and she's there talking about how she's sick of hearing about acting, acting, acting. And this is where Tobias says, you know, like Bravo. See if I gave a performance that good I'd have my own alias type show. Um and and obviously because Dr. Gunty is hearing what Lindsay is saying, he's like, okay, let's try a new approach. Let's try some role playing. Yes. All right. <laughs> I love how Tobias like gets so excited and starts clapping and is like, "All right." And he's like really enthusiastic to do the role playing. And it's like I from Lindsay's point of view, it's like I wanted to stop talking about acting and here we are doing some actual acting. I think that like kind of the interaction that we get and like in the later scene where you know, they they they're role playing as each other and then Dr. Gunty steps in and you think he's going to step in and take over from Lindsay, but instead he steps in and then flips the genders, which is something that Tobias obviously has a habit of doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys. I, I was not aware of Mr. Show. Rewatching it again today, it's so obvious, like the the uh, the kind of chemistry they have each other. The, the, the you know that they go back and forth off each other so well. I, I just thought it was really interesting coming back with the knowledge of them. You know, being partner. I th- and I think it's weird because, like, obviously now Bob Odenkirk is, you know, is so much bigger. I would say bigger than David Cross at this point, if you're not yeah. an American, I will say. I think in America they're probably still equal standing. But over here, you know, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are certainly a lot bigger than anything David Cross has been in. Yeah. Uh, certainly since David Cross concluded he- the, the, the squeakles. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, which was which I think is would probably still be the thing that if you ask anyone over here, they would know David Cross for, other than the rest of development would be playing the uh, the the antagonist in the first three Alvin films. So sad. <laughs> I mean, he <laughs> wanted the money, so yeah. you know he yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna weep for David Cross, knowing <laughs> who he who he is currently at this very moment as we record going out with. Um, but you know, so 
I think it's yeah, it's 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 interesting how like their chemistry really comes through, particularly when they do the later scene, which I think we'll cover now rather than waiting because the later scene where you know they they've switched genders and basically Tobias as Lindsay is giving Tobias the nod to be an actor. <laughs> it's just like talking about how he he's a woman with needs and all this kind of stuff. Um and and this is the weird thing is we get Tobias saying to Dr. Gunty as Tobias. What was the last time you looked at these? <laughs> and of course, saying goodbye to these will become um Kitty's catchphrase later on in the series, so disappointed for me didn't get that. I can I didn't remember whether I have to know if I was a wee bit disappointed, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, and we, and we, get, we, get, we get this whole thing of um, Dr. Gunty saying, you know, if I'm no swimmer, you're no Aniston. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, Friends were still on the air at this time. It was still, it was like a number, it was top four. It was, it was huge still at the time when this went out. And obviously, it's, even now, it's in syndication and everywhere else. It's still huge. But I just think it's funny how... I have dreams, Lindsay. Dreams, Lindsay. And (laughs) then Tobias, Tobias. while staring directly at Lindsay. (laughs) Follow those dreams. Make those dreams happen. Yes, I will. And it's just so funny that he, he he's decided to role play as Lindsay to tell himself that he can do this thing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, just before they kiss, uh, Lindsay. And scene. I, I love all the interactions with Doctor Gunty, but I also think it's funny that they don't real. You know, Lindsay and um, Tobias, they don't realize how they're affecting maybe, who has kind of stalked them by using you know. Um, from the suggestion by George Michael, he's used Lindsay's like date book to figure out where they've gone. And he's overheard all this yelling and screaming. And she's kind of like, you know, a little taken back that her parents might be splitting up. Although, you know, in later episodes, it's kind of implied that she, you know, she only keeps them together because when they split up, they both turn their attention on her. So it's kind of weird (laughs) that she's feeling abandoned at this particular time, but you know, she doesn't want them to split up, but, I don't know. This, I guess. I guess later on, once they've figured out Maybe's character a bit more, this episode feels a bit strange because I don't think Maybe of kind of later in season one and season two or three would really care about where they were going. Do you guys not find it so funny watching him? Like watching his acting, like you could see that he's barely stopped himself from laughing. Like and how how far uh, how far how far he's come, you know, yeah. from then, like. It was, it was like um, it felt like watching like Jerry Seinfeld in the early <laughs> early Seinfelds. Watched him here. Uh, I don't know what you thought. Now he's it's it's really weird because he does feel a little bit kind of less polished than he is now. Um, but yeah. I I think you know maybe that's just my view of it. It's probably coloured by watching him as Saul Goodman so often now. Yeah, kind of that's the that's the level of acting that I expect from him. Whereas here he's kind of a little bit more um, kind of jokey. Um, but yeah, so you know that that it's weird because that you know we in the in the on the next at the end we find out that Doctor Gunty has enjoyed this role playing so much he's decided to quit his practice and become an actor, um, which is really weird because it's like you know this this joke about doctors quitting acting like quitting their actual profession to go act. And it's just a weird like little running gag that they've started doing here, where both Tobias and Doctor Gunty are like, let's let's get into acting. Um, but I guess if you live in California, maybe that's just an option to you. Whereas you do, you know, yeah. if you live everywhere else, yeah. If you're if you're a psychiatrist in Boston, it's not open to be an actor. But if you're living <laughs> yeah. in Orange County, you can do it. Ken Jeong from the Hangover movies is a doctor before he was an actor for like fifteen years or whatever. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I guess it. I guess it's a real thing that happens that you know doctors quit to become actors. You know, George Michael has per- persuaded his father to take him to the prison. He's, you know, they on the discussion they talk about. After this, I'm not going back out there. Why is it scary? Scary? No, no. It's it's the opposite. It's scary. It's like a carnival <laughs> without the half person on the skateboard that grabbed your knee to steady himself. And then he talks about how they eat ice cream and play softball all day, and then we get the 14th inning. It was the 14th inning, and tensions were running a little high. I'll give you a thousand bucks. You call the next one a strike. My knees are killing me. As he's, you know, the umpire clearly takes the money to call the strike because 
the ball basically goes off the floor <laughs> and into the catcher's mitt, and there's no way is it anywhere in the strike zone. And obviously, you know, the inmate from Rahway who is at the bat, he decides to immediately um, sort this out, and he just hits the guard, and we see a splatter of blood on George Senior's <laughs> face as he just stands there. And kind of being shell-shocked. I think that was my first instance of hilarious blood splatter. <laughs> <laughs> to see something that terrifying. <laughs> but it's played so well. And, and almost kind of so... He, he plays it so seriously. I found that with a lot of his scenes. Up until this point, you know, George Senior has been a kind of uh, comical character. You know, like... Prison has seemed like, you know, a carnival. It has seemed like a lot of fun. You know, there's all the talk of, you know, ice cream sandwiches and, you know, movie nights and, you know, all this all this stuff is, it's made out to be, like, it's easy for George Sr. And in this episode, you know... Lying between Michael and George Michael. One of these got smushed, but don't let that ruin prison for you. Yeah, and and this is where we get you know. uh, Hey, Papa. You know, thinks he's going to be killed. How's prison? I'm going to die in here. And he's like, um, you got to help Pop Pop get out of here. Give me your hair. Hair. Give me your hair. Give Pop Pop your hair. We'll be called back to like five or six episodes down the line. You know, way before they thought of introducing Oscar as a character. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I love how he's saying I'm an innocent man, and of course, at the end of the episode, Michael will tell his son. Because you know, I got news. He's, uh, he's guilty. Yes. He oh yeah. Incredibly guilty. Now, this I think is the first episode where they begin, where the kids regularly start calling him Pop Pop. Um, in uh, like I think in the last episode, they, it was the first time that they called. Lucille Gangi. So by this point now we've got the <laughs> the nicknames for both of them. Um and I, I love how George Michael is, you know, like <laughs> I tot I don't get the hair joke, but I'm fine. Like, you know, like, he's trying to be brave. Yeah, um, Michael and Michael Sarah is really good in this episode kind of playing the kind of his te- his terror as well. Yeah, he's excellent in this episode. I mean, I think time went on, you know, a lot of people just really took a real dislike to Michael Sarah and his its whole kind of approach, but he, like in these episodes, I and mean, he was so young, and it was it, it was really fantastic. It just like, but I mean, all the cast really do, uh, you know, play as seriously as they can, and, and as as sort of deadpan as they can. Without that, like, the show just wouldn't work. I do like that the transformation is all his own fault. Uh, if he didn't bribe the. The guard, everything would have been fine. He could have the happy-go-lucky experience he always wanted. So I, I really love that he messed everything up. He turned his prison experience to a war zone, and he. <laughs> and if he'd have just taken third base as well, or or like what the position they were offering him at the start, if he'd have just not been catcher, yeah, he probably would have been okay. But uh, yeah, he kind of brings it about himself, and this is where we get him saying, you know, I don't like prison anymore. And it, because he's a little shell shocked, Michael kind of takes <laughs> advantage of him. And he's like, well, you know, I'm trying to get you out of here. And I like how Michael sees, he's kind of a little sympathetic, but he also sees this as the perfect opportunity to finally get his father to do, to kind of give him the information he needs. Um, You know, and he's talking about, you know, softball and he's like, you know, no more softball. And it's kind of like, we also get a little quick flashback to, um, you know, he's, he f- this is where Michael figures out that Lucille has yet to visit the prison. <laughs> and we see Lucille being carjacked, <laughs> which, which is, you know, not really a carjacking. <laughs> it's just someone, I think, trying to sell her some fruit at a stoplight. Yeah, and she just, she just like maces them and, and they kind of fall to the ground. And this is kind of where we get, you know, like Lucille is eating food by the pool, <laughs> which she's not enjoying. She's she's not a fan of curly fries, and I don't know why because I love curly fries. But you know, <laughs> Lucille is, yeah. So you know, Lucille clearly just a huge snob. And this is where George, you know, George Senior proposes, you know, the conjugal trailer. <laughs> Michael's like, that's not what I meant when I said visit him. Um, and this is where you know the narrator says. Michael, for the first time, saw his father as a vulnerable human being. Daddy horny, Michael. <laughs> and then it's just like, 
<laughs> Such a contrast between like him being a vulnerable human being and just those three words. Such and then a, we get this... Th- such a disturbing thing to hear your father say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the cap of the scene is... I haven't had sex in a month. <laughs> you know, you've been here two months. It's hard to gauge yeah. time. I'll bet. <clears throat> <laughs> and yeah, this, that... is, this is something that, that, that will become a, a Bluth family trait where, um, you know, people will think they spoke to someone two days ago and it'll turn out it was an hour ago. Um, and this is with, you know, George Senior does this a few times when he's in prison where he won't remember. He got, he got angry at Michael for not visiting, you know, for not coming to see him. And he was like, I was here yesterday. He was like, oh, yeah, I saw it was last week. <laughs> like this, the, the kind of the whole time thing is really funny. This is handy, though, because, you know, five episodes in, we now learn that it's been two months since Michael has had to kind of take over the company. So, you know, this is kind of the first marker of of when things started happening. Um, although, you know, due to the broadcast schedule and baseball being on Fox, it's only actually been a month since the first episode went up. So, George Sr. is kind of correct in that the show's only been on for a month. But, you know, Michael is obviously correct that he's probably been in prison for, for two. I mean, I so, think that's pro- that is probably, like, one of those meta jokes that, that unfortunately do get kind of lost in time. I love Jason Bateman when he does kind of, like, righteous indignation. And when he, re- <laughs> when he goes to see Lucille... Hey, Mom, I went to go visit Dad today. Quick question. How long does it take you to get out there? And he's like, quick question. And Lucille immediately just... Oh, I've never been. Then why does he tell me that you've never been? Just love that exchange because Michael, at the end of it, he's kind of like, where there? <laughs> Did she just, like, tell the truth to me? And I love the look on his face of kind of like, you know... And this is where Lucille, you know, reveals that Paul Food does not <laughs> agree with her system. Um, and then we kind of... I, it's funny because, you know... Um, this is where we get Michael event kind of like trying to set his parents up um you know misreading the the daddy horny Michael a little bit although I must admit that you know there's not much for him to misread there but like he he wasn't to know that he, that meant kitty but um you know I although saying that given how long the relationship with kitty has been going on you would think Michael would know by now after yeah. all these years you know he's been there 10 years or something, 15 years. Uh, especially when we see in a later season the flashbacks to <laughs> to when he didn't get to go to the cabin and, and George Sr. finishes it up with, you know, I'm nailing this broad, come on. like you know, He must know that his father cheats on his mother by yeah. now. But um, but this is where we, we get the first instance of my favourite thing that Michael will do, which is he will not say what someone has said to him if it is too disgusting to repeat. So we get a flashback to the daddy horny Michael, and then we get Michael saying, He said some wonderful things. Yeah. <laughs> and Lucille trying to get him to say that he needs the wife's embrace, and, you know, the whole intimate marital trailer. Like, there's a, there's a certain level of uncomfortableness between the two. And, you know, this is where Michael pimps his mother out for the, you know, the international, <laughs> for, for the um, golf membership. You know, she wants the golf membership. Yeah. And he he wants to get the international accounts information again. <laughs> so he's he's using once again he's using his parents and he's using someone and you know making them kind of like putting them together in a relationship um, to just get information for himself. I mean, they both um, use the same kind of phrasing: uh, golf membership, important, and yeah. uh, international accounts. Before again, this is one. Of my, this is a weird thing that they'll only really call back to like a couple of seasons down the line. But I love this. Um, Job, like having his sense of propriety when he's told that his parents are going to have sex. They just came from convincing mom to have sex with dad. What? God, what is wrong with you? That is disgusting. What's wrong with you? Oh, I'm sorry, but just the thought of mom and dad together. I have a sense of propriety, all right? And I just find it really, it's such a weird kind of character quirk because Job, in the, like literally in the same scene. Great news. I've kitty but he doesn't want to hear about his parents um <laughs> and joe's pouring a drink and he kind of spills the drink a bit and gets angry and it's kind of like you know that's disgusting <laughs> and it's just such a a weird character trait yeah whenever that comes up yeah. it's like that's the only time he's not in one of these i think he has basically two modes where he's like constantly charming even when he's saying like the horrible thing to kitty he's like he says them you know i don't think that would have helped to say that in a kind of way um, and the other mode is terror, 
Uh, I think that kind of more or less what he's like all the time, apart from when he's talking about his parents. <laughs> and then Michael's like, you know, I just wanted you to get the information, and Job is like, I got the information, which of course is like, <laughs> again, this is also a bluff, a bluff child trait where they will they will come up with um, innuendos that really aren't innuendos. <laughs> um, and he's like, did you get the international accounts? You know, the inf- and he's like. Oh no, I didn't get any information. <laughs> and I just love how quickly Job's like, you know, he had sex with Kitty for nothing. Um, and I love Michael's kind of, you know, finish to this scene where he's like, I'm going to use the touch lamp to set the mood in the conjugal trailer when Dad's name and Mom. <laughs> and I just love how he knows how to push Job's buttons and get him like, you know, kind of like super, um, you know, like angry about that. Yeah, I think it really was, like Craig said, a really good introduction of Job's terror. Uh, it happens a lot and a lot and a lot. One of his main character traits is he freaks out about so many things and gets so upset, and that was wonderful. Um, I really thought, I think also, I guess this is not a Job thing, but I thought there's a good example of Job and Michael, but how Michael is always, always bartering with everybody. He's, he seems like a great guy in general. But he really is always out for himself, and he'll do anything for himself. He'll uh, he'll sell Job out for use the lamp that Job wants so badly, and he'll, <laughs> he'll use anything. And he really he doesn't take into consideration other people's needs necessarily, almost ever. And after that scene, we get the conclusion of uh, maybe and George Michael's storylines, where you know they have a hug, and <laughs> George Michael has to kind of be forced off. Maybe George Michael, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't know if it's going to be a long hug or a short hug or like a middle, medium hug. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, but that was, was a good time. Plenty for now. Okay, hugs got to end sometime. This that's the that's the only time in this episode where we we kind of call back a little bit to the kind of the weird relationship between the two of them. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it, I think it's a nice bit of react, like interaction between the two cousins because I think for some people. The kind of incest storyline, you know, is not the most family friendly um, and might make some people uncomfortable. So this is kind of like an episode where that isn't the main plot between these two people. Um, Although there is always the kind of maybe trying to one up everybody. And in this case, she's trying to one up George Michael and pretend that she doesn't care about her parents. We conclude with um, some classic, um, I guess you could say farce. Because uh, it's kind of like people going in out of doors and trying to avoid someone, and you know, so it's kind of the classic setup of Fast, where we get to the conjugal trailers after Michael has driven Lucille to the prison, um, and this is, you know, this is the first time she's visited the prison since the show started, and so you know, George Senior is talking with Michael and he's saying, you know, that doesn't make you uncomfortable. You well, know, yeah, the drive was a little awkward. Not every son would do this for his father. I thank you for this. And then he goes to the trailer, opens the door, and Lucille says, hello, George. And he immediately closes it, and he's like, what the hell is your mother doing here? Cody goes to that trailer, that and zap sound effect. It's just so well placed. That long <laughs> zap. It's long as soon as he comes away from me. <laughs> this is where we get people figuring something out by the use of one word. Now, earlier in the episode, um, Job had described Kitty as he walked away, taking the art off the wall, as repulsive. And George Sr. here says... Oh, I've done a bad thing. I've done a terrible thing. There's someone else in that trailer, isn't there? I've done a repulsive thing. Oh, wait, whoa. It's Kitty? <laughs> and it's such a subtle joke, you know, that that, that is how both, both the Georges are referring to Kitty as repulsive. Um, of course, it doesn't stop them from having sex with her. Um, and George Sr. details, you know, <laughs> that... His conjugal visit with Kitty that he's arranged was the... Every Friday for the last eight years, uh, Michael. Daddy. Horny. I got that. <laughs> it's just like... I, I love how he, George Sr. kind of crumbles immediately. Like, he's not going <laughs> to pretend that this is something that's happened today. He just immediately confesses to how long this, this affair has been going on. Yeah, that's a, also a great callback to the um, sort of flashback photographs. The uh, kind of... A way they're mirroring, mirroring each other and uh, seeing the hand of the knee underneath the desk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when when Kitty was introduced as as fiercely loyal to to George Senior, we see like a series of photographs where she's yelling at someone like he's yelling at someone, and she's laughing like he's laughing, and she sleeps like he sleeps. <laughs> and then here, you know, we find one of those 
those photographs, we get a little zoom out and we find out that his hand is on her knee. Um, and then this is where we get international accounts need me. Um, and George Senior, you know, he goes into the trailer. She's your secretary. You're right. Family first. To have sex with Lucille or what Lucille is basically there to say that she's not going to do it. Like that's the only reason she came. And, you know, she's talking about how much she hated, you know, she hates him and how much she's ruined. You know, everything's been ruined. And, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is where we get like a just perfect delivery of George Senior saying, Can I help it? You got a fantastic body. <laughs> and I just love how he's complimenting her. But the tone of voice is like so angry. And it's such a weird kind of window into their relationship and kind of how they both kind of thrive off like the power and kind of like the power play. And this is also kind of hinting at, you know, future storylines um, and calling back a little bit to Lucille saying that George Senior was not a mastermind. We see that Lucille is the one who is in charge in this relationship. Um, yeah. You know, which might explain why George Senior has been with Kitty for the last eight years <laughs> once a week. <laughs> because obviously she's the, Lucille is the one who is clearly in control in this family. Um, and as we'll see in future episodes, when people try to manipulate Lucille, they generally come off on the losing end of it. So, um, and I love that Job, he, his storyline kind of intersects as he's delivering this angry letter to Warden James Book. I'm delivering the strongly worded letter I wrote, lit by nothing but natural light. His hand delivering this letter also calls back a little bit um, the second episode where... Michael asked him to deliver a letter and he refused, he threw it into the sea. So he's got a thing with letters. That callback, sorry, that throwing a letter in the sea, that is like my go-to, like, I'm down, I can watch that clip and you know, that will instantly cheer me up. It's uh, one of the, the, the best moments in the show. It's amazing that it keeps so early in it. Uh, and here, um, like, Michael again, once again, calls in Job to do some, some dirty work for him. And he he sends him to the trailer where Kitty is waiting, and um, <laughs> and once again, Job is trying to stop light from getting into the trailer, and he's he's deciding about glasses off, glasses on, hair up, glasses off, down on. <laughs> Have we done up off to make Kitty attractive? Um, and in the end, you know, like he he decides to escape out of the window. And runs into the warden, who refers to Job as sincerely yours. And in this moment... And so Job was detained against the window of the trailer his parents were becoming intimate in. Oh, God, Bobby, what you do? Which is such a weird thing, because I don't... I, I, like, I, I know that Job occasionally refers to, like, Mom, like, when he talks about Lucille. But I don't think I ever... Apart from this occasion, I don't think you ever really hear him talk about Mommy. That's usually... Kind of that would be more of like a Buster thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I, I and of course this scene will essentially be recreated in like forty fifty episodes time, <laughs> um, like almost beat for beat. Um, but yeah, I don't want to get into that too much because you know I'll save that for you know months down the line. When we eventually get to season three, yeah. But yeah, so and then you know. While that is going on, while the you know the conjugal visit is being successful, and Kitty, I don't know what happens to Kitty. I can only assume she she sees Joe being you know taken down by the warden and and kind of just leaves. Um, and then we get um, you know Michael and George Michael. Aside from the visit to the prison, their storylines have kind of been a bit separate here, and we get almost like kind of a classic ending to the episode where we have both of them sitting on the stair car and the sun is going down and this is where <laughs> Michael says, you know, um, he's guilty. <laughs> he basically <laughs> spells it out. George Michael is kind of like Pop Pop's innocent and if he can go to prison, anyone can go to prison. <laughs> and and Michael is careful to be like, no, no, he is guilty. He deserves to be in prison. Like he, Where he is is exactly where he needs to be. Um, and, you know, he says incredibly guilty. is That's the, the payoff for the episode. Um, and then we get um, what will become a long-running storyline all the way until the penultimate episode of the original 53. Um, George Sr. in the on the next, he makes a confession that he may have committed some light treason. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that is, that's the first time we'll hear about this. And I think we don't hear about it again until 
um, shock and awe. I think it's like episode 14 is the first time that we'll actually get into the details about Iraq. And that only comes up because George Michael's teacher loves Saddam Hussein. That's so uh, typical of the show to show like that in such a, you know, set up like a tender moment, like a, a sweet moment for them to be saying something, which is kind of probably any other show would treat as, you know, breaking bad news. Here it's treated as, this is great news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re- I really thought it was a nice, one of the nicer moments between George Michael and Michael, uh, where they, they have an understanding instead of a misunderstanding. Michael actually gives them some news that helps George Michael. <laughs> There's no mockery or anything. Um, it's really sweet, um, and it's really sweet that George Michael really does think that his pop-up is innocent. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a little sad that Bubbles pops, but it helps him out in the end. And it's really also sweet that he really thinks that he could just go to jail because anyone can. And he's just—it just shows how innocent he is and how well Michael Sarah can play innocent. I don't think anyone would ever mistake George Michael for someone who is tough, uh, particularly at this point. Um, but yeah, so, and that is, you know, that's the end of this episode. Is there anything else that you wish to touch upon that we haven't covered? Or do you, do you feel like we've said as much as we possibly can about this episode? Um, I think we hit about all the major things. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only other thing, I, and you did touch on it slightly, was the next time on, um, you know, we get the uh, doctor, uh, Odenkirk's doctor, saying he wants to become an actor. And that's, you know, he does that in exactly the same way as Tobias did. That was a nice kind of touch. Uh, well, speaking of on the next... On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, uh, my guests will be uh, Steve Guntley and Jason B. Edwards, and we're going to be talking about episode six, which was broadcast as episode five, so uh, things will be super confusing. But that's going to be a Charity Drive, um, you know, which features uh, the, the progression of the uh, Lucille 2 Buster storyline. Um, and I don't think we've mentioned it, but Buster was actually absent from yeah. this episode. Yeah. Uh, once again, this is the second time that he's not in an episode. But I was going to say, everything revolves around the prison, and Buster isn't really uh, a prison uh, person, and he's not living at the model home. So if you're at the model home or you're the prison, you don't really get much Buster. You only get a lot of Buster when you've got you know a large portion of Lucille, and she was spending most of her time in the conjugal trailer or by the pool here. So, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> So, uh, do you guys have anything to plug? Uh, I'll go to Craig first. Craig? I have not anything particular. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's just my name, C.S. Ambrose. Okay, great. And Kevin? Yeah, let's see. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Twinkie54. Um, and also, I have uh, I had a podcast a while ago uh, called Horrible. It was a horror movie podcast. Uh, it, it ended when I moved to New York, but it still has some back catalog. It's fun. We just watch a bad horror movie and we talk about it for a while. Um, and we watch some great ones. Uh, and that is at soundcloud.com slash horrible dash podcast. Um, there's that. And also, I just created a website called nextflick.net. And that's next, N-E-X-T, uh, flick.net. And over there, you can type in any movie you like and find recommendations for that movie. So you should definitely go check that out and find some new movies to watch. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks to both of you for joining me. Um, and goodbye. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.